In the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four Gospels. We're in the fourth Gospel today, looking at the third saying on the cross. John chapter 19, we're going to be looking at verses 9, or 25 to 27. Chapter 19, verses 25 to 27. This is what we read. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Let's pray. Father, as we dig into your word, I pray that you open up our eyes and minds and hearts to hear from you. Lord, I pray that we see the beauty and glory that belongs to your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. And so as we, we read this text, there are several applications from this text. But I want you to see the main point from this passage is that Jesus, in the depths of suffering that we will never know, came, he knows, that we never know, comes a demonstration of loving kindness that we desperately need. So in the depths of suffering, Jesus is hanging on the cross, about to experience the wrath of the Father poured out on sin, and in the depths of suffering that you and I will never know comes a demonstration of kindness that we so desperately need. It's the loving kindness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. That's the main point of this text, and I want you to see it. Do not miss that. When we see Jesus say, woman, here is your son, and son, here is your mother. That's what you need to see. The kindness of a Savior. Last week, we looked at two sayings. Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then, just moments later, to the thief crying out for mercy, Jesus responds to him, Truly I tell you, today... You will be with me in paradise. We're covering the seven sayings from the cross. And this morning, we get to the third one. And you see, not everybody left Jesus. His mom's still standing there. I would say mothers and in the room, there's a different type of love that you have for your children. And so, first off, I want to give thanks for a mother's love. We see here, John 19, 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Near the cross stood his mother. And so I think sometimes churches avoid Mary because some churches emphasize that she doesn't need a Savior, and that's not true. But at the same time, there's an example that we should follow with Mary. From the very beginning, she's engaged to be married. And an angel shows up and says, you're going to be with child. It's not a great time to be with child before your wedding. It's not a convenient time to be pregnant on the wedding date. And Mary's response is, let it be according to your word. And then she, as she goes through life, there's a man named Simeon that she meets when she goes to dedicate Jesus to the Lord. To dedicate him at the temple. And this is what we read in Luke 2. 33 to 35. The child's father and mother marveled at what he said about him. 
Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that is spoken against, so that the thoughts of the hearts of many will be revealed. But Simeon doesn't end with that. He goes on to say, And a sword will pierce your own soul too. And so we are about to arrive at when Jesus breathes his last and a spear will pierce his side. And that is when Mary experiences a sword piercing her soul. She's not scared. She's not running away. She's standing at the foot of the cross. Can you imagine the pain that she is in? Here is the woman that held Jesus in her arms when he was a baby. And now he is being held to a cross by nails. Here is a woman that for 30 years got to be with him, see him grow, love him. And now the crowds are yelling, crucify him. Soldiers are gambling over his clothes. Sanhedrin is condemning him. The crowd's mocking him. And yet a mother near the cross is standing. Do you see the love that this mother has for her son? There she is standing. And I want to take a moment. Now listen, I think all of us could have stories of our moms. But I have been blessed beyond measure when it comes to mothers. And so I'm just going to, just, just real quick, give thanks to God for the moms that I see. And so one would be uh, my mom, Becky. She is a relentless encourager for me. And even though I fail, she's there to encourage and pray and build up. At one point, though, you, you can't really listen to everything that she says. And this is what I mean. This is what I mean. And you, <laughs> we're getting ready to go to a point where we're supposed to honor our parents. I want you to, to hear me on this. What do you mean you can't listen to everything she says? So for seminary, I had to fill out a questionnaire. Uh, rate your abilities here, here, and here. Rate your walk here, here, and here. Rate your marriage here, here, and here. One through four. One being awful. Four being perfect, excellent, whatever. So I rate myself, and I've got to turn it into a professor. And then I give one. You've got to give one to uh, mom or dad, and then to a coworker. So I give it to mom. Uh, don't spend much time, mom. Hey, I need you to fill this out. I got to turn it in for school. Well, I get it back, and you know when you add up all the scores, and then you average it. Guess what my score was? Perfect fours. She didn't answer one three in the whole survey. I'm like, mom, I can't turn this in. Billy Graham didn't get all fours, and she goes, well, I think you're the next Billy Graham. You can't listen to everything your mom says. But isn't that, isn't that a mother's love? And then I look at, at Julianne and how she loves four girls. And here's the, the crazy part. The love is always there, but it's different based on the stage our girls are at. And it has been an awesome thing to see how Julianne loves our girls through the stages. We loved it so much that we decided to do it all again with Dia. And we just keep loving our girls through the stages. It's an amazing to see a mother's Love, but then I've got a mother-in-law and a sister and a sister-in-law and a grandma. 
man, we are well loved by our mothers, but I've also seen that in the moms in the room. It is an awesome thing to have a mother's love. And so I, I just want just to, to briefly, as, as we go through this, here is Jesus, and at the foot of the cross, you see the love of a mother. And I just want to make this application point. Do not waste or do not take for granted how you have been loved by a mother. And it might not be a biological mother. It might be someone, a, a woman that has been placed into your life who has loved you like a mother. Give thanks to God for that. Give thanks for the mother's love. Then we keep reading. Give thought to a moment's location. And you see this in verse 26. Give thought to a moment's location. You see, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, do you think it's by accident both of these people are on this hill? No. There are no accidents. As a matter of fact, now I want you just to shift attention a little bit to John. John's the writer of this gospel. He is the disciple who is beloved. And so when you see the, the disciple Jesus loved, he's speaking about himself. And here you see both of them near the cross. Now, what makes this amazing is John, 24 hours earlier, was getting ready to make a huge mistake. Was getting ready to be a failure. And so let's travel back just a little bit. We're going to look at the disciples make a statement. The disciples make a statement. Matthew 26, 31 and 35 has this conversation. They're uh, getting ready to go to the Mount of Olives. They, they've done the communion, the new covenant. They see Jesus is about to do something. They're not sure exactly what it's going to be. And I want you to hear the conversation. Jesus told them, this very night you will fall away on account of me. They're going to scatter because of Jesus. They're embarrassed to be with him. They don't trust him anymore, so they're going to scatter. That's what he's saying. You'll fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now, Peter, and I love Peter. He's confident. Peter replied, even if all fall away. He might be confident, but he's not a team player. He said, yeah, Thomas, he's going to run. He's a scared cat. Not me. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And now here's the statement. And all the other disciples said the same. Now this is very, very important. The disciples were confident in themselves. And that's a dangerous place to be. Who should we be confident in? In Jesus. In Jesus. So here they make a statement. Hey, if, 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 even if you have to die, we're with you, Jesus. That's the statement. But then you see later in this day, and it's late at night, the disciples are sleeping. In Matthew 26, just a few verses later, 36 to 38, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and there he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. That's John. John's included in that. He's one of the sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here 
and keep watch with me. So Jesus, with his band of three brothers, the guys that have been through it with him, he's saying they see his soul, his soul is sorrowful. He, he brings them a little further than the rest of the disciples, and he says, hey, I need you to stay up. I need you to keep watch with me. Do you feel the sense of urgency that Jesus is sharing with his boys? And then Jesus goes a little further and he begins to pray to the Father. Now, when he comes back to these three disciples, who or what should they be doing? You would think they would be praying. They don't know what's going on, but they know Jesus needs their prayer and for them to keep watch. Check out how Jesus finds them. In verse, uh, we'll go 34, or 40 to 41 of chapter 26. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? So Jesus goes off, one hour he's praying. And in that, the disciples fell asleep. He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. And this is another one of those side applications. If sin is eating you up, it could be because something like this is happening. He says that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. If you continually give in to your flesh, it's hard to pursue Christ. It's impossible to pursue Christ. The spirit is willing. At night, your thoughts are racing. Your spirit longs for God, but your flesh says, just put a show on. Put a game on. Go to sleep. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. When you wake up in the morning, your spirit is hungry for God, but the flesh is weak. Hit the snooze. Sleep in. You need rest. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he goes back a second time to pray after asking his disciples, hey, can you please stay awake? It's kind of a big deal tonight. Things are not going, well, things are going exactly according to plan, and I need you to be up. So he goes back to pray another time. He says, when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away once more, and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So they make the statement, Hey, we're going to be with you even if we have to die. But when he asked them to stay awake and pray and be on watch, they fall asleep. And now what you see is the disciples scatter. Judas shows up, large crowd, armed with swords and clubs to arrest him. And in verse 26 of Matthew 26, it says, Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. John is included in that number. They scatter. They don't want to be around Jesus. When Jesus needs them the most, they're gone. At his darkest hour, the disciples were asleep. When they ask them to keep watch, they scatter. That's John. But we read, when the sun rises and Jesus is on the cross, who's made his way back? 
John. No disciples are to be found when he's arrested and being questioned. As a matter of fact, the religious leaders, the high priest, points that out. In John 18, verse 19, it says, Meanwhile, as Peter is denying that he's a follower of Jesus, meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples. Hey, uh, where are all those guys following you now? He notices that his followers are not being faithful. No disciples to be found. They're ashamed to be identified with Jesus. They're reevaluating their last three years. They spent day in and day out. And this is not going how they thought it would go. They thought Jesus was a king, and now he's hung on a cross dying. It's not how a kingdom is supposed to come in, in their mind. They're confused, they're scared, and they scatter. But it's not how the story ends. You see, while Jesus is still on the cross, you have John nearby. Somewhere along the line, the minutes pass and minutes turn into hours. John stopped running. And he makes his way back to Jesus. And he can be found on the hill near the cross. Now think about this. John has to be confused at this point. He has no idea on how Jesus is going to fulfill the promises that he has made. Jesus is not in triumph right now. See, for us, we know how this story ends. Three days later, Jesus is going to rise from the grave. He's going to ascend to the Father. He's at the right hand of the Father right now, and he'll be the soon-returning king. Like, we get this. John sees Jesus bleeding on the cross, uttering a few last words. But he knows exactly who to turn to. He's back at the cross. Now, I want you to see this. Do you think Mary and John are there by accident? Or do you think Jesus has a mission and a purpose and a call for both of them? It's exactly who Jesus wanted to be at the cross. You know of all the disciples who gets to live the longest life? It's believed that John is. The other disciples, suffering, persecution, death. And a few of them, quickly. Now John suffers, and he's persecuted, but he's around. Who do you think understood the love of Christ more than any of the disciples? It's probably John. And you can see that in his gospel. You can see that in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John that bear his name. What a great follower to entrust the care of your mother to. Now, I want you to see this. This is why this is important. You are where you are because God wants you to be there. Mr. Fight, not here today, guy that stands up here singing, is one of the longest tenure teachers at Holmes High School. Now, most people would say the reason he's there is to provide for his family, to earn the paycheck. That's not what Jesus would say. The reason why Mr. Fight is there and in that classroom and the students are there is so that he can glorify God in that position. There are students that desperately need to know about Jesus 
that are sitting right there because God has put Mr. Fight here and the student here. And you can fill in the blank. Why is Julianne teaching at Connor Middle School in the sixth grade? Is it to make money? No. Now, we'll use those resources to the glory of God. But the primary reason why Julianne is at Connor Middle School is because she is there to glorify God. And her personality and her gifts and her talents will be used to glorify God. Now, we know some general purposes that we have for our will, God's will for our lives. We know that we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We know that we're to love others as we love ourselves. We know that we are to make disciples of Jesus, teach them to observe everything that he has commanded us. We, we don't have to guess at what God has for us. Now, specifics. You want to know what I found out? God gets very specific as you draw near. John is right by Jesus, and he says, hey, I got something for you. As you draw near to Jesus, ask him, what, what does he want you to do? Why has he placed you in this neighborhood? Why has he placed the neighbors around you? Why has he given you the interest and hobbies and talents that he's given you? I brought this up, Tracy. Uh, Tracy, wave your hand real quick. Tracy just got the position this past year to, to coach the girls' basketball team. And, and you want to know what the temptation is for coaches? To think the main purpose of coaching is to win. But you want to know what my guess is? My guess is God is doing something in some young ladies' lives, and he wants to use Tracy to share the love of Christ with these ladies so that their lives are eternally changed. And they'll learn basketball in the meantime, but the main reason is that God will be glorified. Mark Sullivan. I'll use him as an example. Here's, here's a little bit of uh, some specifics of how to use gifts and talents and abilities to glorify God. Um, we're getting ready to do some, well, we are, some renovation. Changing some ceiling, changing some lights. If we do the demo, we save some money. So we're going to do demo. Now listen, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to lift up drop ceiling, take it out, put it in the truck, take it to a dumpster. I can do that. When it comes to the lights and the electric, I cannot do that. We still have electric, so you know I'm not trying to do that. But you want to know what God has done in Mark's life? He worked with Duke Energy. How long have you worked for Duke? 34 years at Duke Energy, right? And you want to know what he knows? Electric. So he volunteers his time to take down the lights that we have here. I can't do that. But that's something specific. That he says, you know what? I have this gift and ability. I can serve God this way. I'm going to do it. Now, that's not unusual. God has done the same thing with all of those who are his. All of you have been given gifts and personalities and locations that are on purpose to glorify God. And we can go through it and we can look at that, but I promise you this, you're not there by accident. And the people around you are not there by accident. God has a mission for you. The location matters. How old you are, how young you are, where you live, what you do, what you like. Use all of that to glorify God. That's what you see here. There's a certain disciple here and a mom nearby, and it's not by accident. And then we keep reading. Number three, honor your parents. I put honor our parents, because I am included in this. Woman, here is your son, he said to the disciples. And to the disciple, he said, here is your 
mother. In Exodus 20, verse 12, oh man, I only have one daughter in here. I needed all four of them in here today. In Exodus 20, verse 12, we have honor your father and mother so they may live long in the land God is giving to you. And then later on in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now that's important. Obey your parents in the Lord. Right? You don't obey your parents if they ask you to go rob a bank. You obey your parents under the authority of God. It goes, uh, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment of promise, so it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on earth. Now, here's my question. When does that command stop? Levay, you think that when you turn 18, you ain't got to listen to your mom anymore? You out the house, you do what you want? Does it stop when you're in your 30s? I'm grown, I pay my own bills. Don't have to worry about mom or dad. It doesn't stop. For as long as they are alive, honor your parents. Now, we can give a couple of examples, and this is where I want to brag on some people. And man, we have done this well in the room, and we need to keep doing this well because we live in a world that forgets about their parents. If I just have a little bit more money, I'll pay somebody else to take care of them. I won't have to worry about them. I don't have to visit, don't have to call, don't have to check in. Wash my hands. That's not been the case here. A couple of examples. Vicki moved her mom in. She was able to move mom in. Uh, had to put in a bed. Had to change out rooms. Loved her well to her dying breath. Uh, my mom has three other sisters. Uh, we went to Magnolia Springs, assisted care living. A couple, I think it's been two Sundays ago. Grandpa's getting ready to preach. Well, both sisters are up there with worship, leading music. Another sister's downstairs clipping the toenails of mom. And another sister that just rotates in. They just keep coming. Just rotate in, rotate in, rotate in. Parents who are aging but are being loved well. I'll even brag on, brag on my dad real quick. Uh, we cut grass. We had about 60 accounts. And dad was always in a hurry. So he, he got to cut the grass. I usually get to weedy. Andrew usually got left to blowing it off. And it was always dad rushing him, which I appreciated. At least he wasn't rushing me. Andrew, come on, get that done. <laughs> done, we're out. We get to grandma's. We could cut her yard in 10 minutes, no joke. It'd be weedy, blown off, we're done. We're ready to go, we're in the truck. It took half an hour to finish the conversation with grandma. We'd be cutting, and she'd bring out the folding chairs. Boom, 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 boom. She'd bring down the platter. And on this platter, you had a Coke and you had sweet tea. You had Snicker bars and cookies, and you had to try a little bit of everything. And she'd sit that down. She'd pull up the table. We'd have all of this. And you want to know what? I knew all the places we had to get to that day. But Dad never said, Mom, I ain't got time for this. You want to know what Dad did? He sat down and talked with his mom. And I got to eat the Snicker bars. So it was a win-win. So honor your parents. Now, now this is, it, it changes through the stages. The, the way that Noah and Quincy and, and our, our students, Ellie, Ava, Levea, the way that you guys honor parents will be different 
than how a 20-year-old that's out in college or a married couple will honor their parents. It'll be different than different stages of life, but I promise you this. This is a sacred duty. You glorify God and how you honor your mom and dad. So, honor your parents. Number four, live on mission. You see this, and I love the end of this verse in 27. He had just said, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. And then, very simple, from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Okay, come on, mom. Like, how, how cool of an example is this? John says, like, well, Jesus, you know, uh, <laughs> I only got a two-bedroom condo. I ain't got no space for her. I got to talk to my wife. She might not be on board with this. You know, I got some crazy kids. They, you don't want her around them. No, he just said from this time on, okay. That's how you respond to Jesus. I love this. Uh, Author Pink offers this insight. Perhaps in the time of testing, you failed. You see, that's what John did. Remember, he was one of the disciples that scattered. When Jesus needed his boys the most, he was gone. And he says, perhaps in a time of testing, you failed. You have given more thought to your own interest than to his. The honor of his name, which you bear, has been lost sight of. And maybe that's where you're sitting this morning. Maybe you've messed up. You're like, live on mission, Ben. I, I can't even get right. That's the only type of people Jesus uses. He keeps going, Christ did not rebuke John on returning. Instead, in his wondrous grace, bestowed on him an unspeakable privilege. Cease then your wonderings and return to Christ, and he will greet you with a word of welcome. And who knows, but that he may have an honorous commission awaiting you. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. If you've messed up, if you've failed, stop running. Go to the foot of the cross, and what you will find is a kind and gracious and forgiving Savior. And then we keep going, and we can talk more about mission, but that, that's not the, the main point. I want you to see this, and for the sake of time, we're going to skip ahead. Look at the bigger purpose. And, and I think Jesus hints at this by using the word woman. Like, why doesn't he say mom? Hey, mom, behold your son. But he says, woman, behold your son. You know the last time Jesus used this in the book of John? It was at a party. Mary had come up to him and asked him, hey, there's this big problem. They ran out of things to drink. There's no more wine. We need you to do something about it. And this is his response. In John 2, 4 through 5, it says, Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. But then his mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. I think that shows how long Mary's been walking with Jesus. Hey, hey I know you're going to fix this. But Jesus reminds her here, hey, this isn't my hour. But do you remember what we read before as he was telling the disciples, my hour has come? I wonder if here Jesus is reminding Mary of a bigger purpose. Mom, I could heal your discomfort right now and your pain. I could get off of this cross. I could make this right. But there's something bigger going on. My hour is here. You see, right now, Mary was losing a son 
but the Savior was doing his work. And as he breathed his last and was buried, while Mary lost a son, she could behold a Savior in just a couple of days. And we know what happens. Three days later, he bursts out of the grave. Death has been defeated. The grave couldn't hold him. Your sin has been paid for. And that's exactly what Mary needed. That's exactly what we need. There's something bigger going on here. And, and you, you see this, and I think Mary knew about this. In Luke 1, 13, we, we saw that message that Simeon gave Mary. A sword will pierce her soul. Well, an angel also delivered a message. Talking about Jesus, he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him a throne to his father David and his reign over the house of Jacob. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And his kingdom will know no end. I don't think she forgot about that promise here. I just don't think she believed the kingdom was coming through the grave. It was a bigger, eternal kingdom coming than she could even comprehend. And then we see this in a, a sign, a, an angel giving to Joseph. In Matthew 1, 21, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing on the cross. But even in that, I want you to see something. And this goes back to our main point. In the depths of suffering that we will never know come a demonstration of kindness that we desperately need. It's the loving kindness of a Savior. This is the best place to be. The best place to be is near the cross. Not away from the cross. Near the cross is the best place to be. When things don't make sense to you. And listen, and I know we have a lot of hurting people in the room. And there will be times when God does not make sense to us. But you only have two options. You can run from God or you can run to God. Mary couldn't understand it. John had no idea what was going on. This is not what they thought it was going to turn out. And yet, what do you see? They're at the foot of the cross. Because that's the best place to be. And, and I want you to see two things happen at the foot of the cross. At the cross, there's a reminder that you are cared for. At the cross, there's a reminder that you and I are cared for. Jesus, earlier on, talking to a crowd in Luke 8, 19 and 21, says, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, hey, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But Jesus answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, I want you, he, he's not minimizing or diminishing his mom or his brothers. He's elevating the church. He's elevating those who follow Jesus. You want to be treated like a mother or a brother? Hear the word of God and do it. By faith you have been saved. Those who follow Jesus will see and receive a kind Savior. I also want you to see this. When was Jesus at his weakest? I would say right here. He had already been beaten beyond recognition, already had thorns jammed onto his head. Nailed, hands, bam, to the cross. Feet, to the cross. He doesn't have much longer to live. The wrath of the Father over sin being poured out on him. Dying, bleeding, suffering. Still has the power to care. And he cares wonderfully for both his mom and this follower that had betrayed him. This follower that has scattered. 
That's the loving kindness of a Savior. So if you've let God down, don't run from Him. Run to Him. And what you will experience is the same kindness that you see here. That's the mercy and grace that you see in Christ. Listen, if you understand that, that's a game changer. Don't hide in your sin. You're not too bad for God. We're all mess-ups. And we desperately need the kindness of Jesus. Because we don't deserve it. But we get it. That's the kindness of a Savior. And at the cross, that's a reminder that we are cared for. But then secondly, and we'll close with this, at the cross, it's a reflection of the church family. It's a reflection of the church family. Now, we had just read that earlier, Mary, his mom, and his brothers were looking for him. So who do you think Jesus would entrust Mary to? The cultural norm is the same as today. The tradition would be the brothers, the sons of Mary. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, hey, John, you're going to be her mom. Mom, you go stay with John. Do you see the role the church plays here? Now, this is, this is very, very, very powerful. Piper puts it this way. John Piper puts it this way. If Jesus purchased the church with his own blood and ordained that in it hurting mothers find sons and sons find mothers, then no one should be without a caring family today in the body of Christ. That's powerful. That's my prayer for Redemption Church at Ashton Avenue. Now, this is a place where hurting mothers can find loving sons, and loving sons can find hurting moms, and we be the family that Christ has purchased on the cross. Amen? I'll leave with you a, a song. The guy's name is Big Daddy Weave, but the song is called My Story, and in it he gives his testimony. And I just want you to hear these words. If I should speak, then let it be of the grace that is greater than all my sin, of when justice was served and where mercy wins. And that's what you see at the cross. Justice is served and mercy wins. Of the kindness of Jesus that draws me in. To tell you of my story is to tell of him. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for gathering us here this morning. And Lord, I, I pray that you move, that you fill people with your spirit, that you help them hear what you want them to hear. We have hurting people, we have lost people, we have people that are not living on mission but want to live on mission. And Lord, what I pray that we see most clearly is the loving kindness of your Son. I pray that we see the care that he has for his mom and his disciple as he is suffering and that we see that in Christ we experience that same care. Father, I pray that you move. I pray that you draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.